We're trying to conduct a serious scientific investigation. Science, logic, reason. Do you have any hard data? Now that's what I call science. Hello, listeners. You're tuned into That's What I Call Science, the weekly radio and podcast show that brings you STEM, so that's science, technology, engineering, maths, and medicine, from Tasmania. This show is supported by Edge Radio, Hobart's premium news station. So head on over to edge.org.au for more information about them. My name is Ollie Dove, and if you tuned in last week, listeners, you will remember that we're not bringing you STEM from Hobart this week. We're actually bringing it to you from Darwin. I'm here on Garamilla country, the country of the Larrakia people, and I would like to pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. And as we are a podcast, I'd also like to extend my respects to the traditional owners of the lands from where you, our listener, are tuning in from. So last week you heard from some incredible ecologists and we're going to be doing the same but different this week. So we're going to have two spot interviews uh, a bit longer and then at the end we're going to be hearing from that poster session again and a few more ecologists. To start us off today, I'm here with someone who I met at the postgrad day and at the mixer at the beginning of the week and it's been wonderful to bump into each other throughout the week and I got to catch his presentation and so I wanted to ask him a bit more about his work because it is fascinating. So, what is your name? Where have you come to Darwin from for the conference? Because you've come a bit further than most of the conference attendees and what do you do? Thank you, uh, Oli. Uh, my name is Charles Pulotu. Um, I am actually from Papua New Guinea, which is just north of Australia, for those of you that don't know. And um, I currently work at uh, a university in Port Moresby called Pacific Adventist University, or PAU. Um, and yeah, I, I work as a, a researcher with the uh, School of Science and Technology. Wonderful. And what are you doing at the school? So within the School of Science and Technology, we have uh, a few departments and I work within the uh, Biology and Environmental Science Department. Yeah, so I've been doing uh, research on traditional ecological knowledge of the Ragiana Bird of Paradise along the Kokoda Track. And what is the main aim of your work? So um, the main aim of my work was basically to look at the the um, impacts of Seventh-day Adventism because most of the people along the Kokoda track are Seventh-day Adventists. So to look at the impact of Adventism on their traditional knowledge of the bird. What is Seventh-day Adventism? So Seventh-day Adventism is a, is a Christian denomination. Um, you know, they tend to look at... Um, having reverence towards the seventh day, which is considered as a Saturday during the weekend. So they usually rest on that day from you know, their labors and then have that day to set aside for communion, fellowship with uh, friends and family. And, and yeah, just to have that time of fellowship and worship. Yeah. Well, I, one thing that really stuck out in your presentation was that looking at the relationship between faith and the natural world, because it's something I'd never come across and I haven't seen any other projects like it. So how did this work come about? Yeah, so uh, it actually came about uh, in some way by chance. (laughs) 
Um, yeah, I, I started off with looking at the, because my honors was on the Ragiana Bird of Paradise, but looking at its food resources. Um, but then for my MPhil, um, I, yeah, I decided to go a step further and um, um, also look at uh, indigenous people. Yeah, so it was, yeah, it was, um, it was a blessing to at least, you know, um, get that, but also to have um, someone who specializes my supervisor in that area. So um, his name is Dr. Patrick Picatra. Um, he's a graduate from the University of Queensland, but at the time he had come up to Port Moresby in Papua New Guinea. So yeah, that was good to have him supervise me because he had a lot of experience already and um, just his uh, connections, but also then to also reach out to the indigenous people, um, which I'd like to pay my acknowledgement and respects to. Um, those past, present, and emerging, uh, the Koyari indigenous people where I conducted my research along the Kokoda track. Yeah, so there, there's been a lot of, um, I guess, um, yeah, there's been a lot of interaction partnership between Australia and PNG, especially along the Kokoda track, uh, because it's such a um, beautiful place. It's, it's a historical site where in, 19, um, in 1942, um, the war was fought and World War II specifically and you know Australian diggers and the, against the Imperial Japanese Army and um, so yeah leading on from that um, the just the history of the place and just walking along the track really gave me a sense of um, you know a sense of okay what can I do to to help um, not only the community there but to help people understand science a bit better uh, especially with my love for nature. And what were the main results from your work? So my main results, um, basically we found that actually most Koyari indigenous people um, said that um, their, their faith had a positive influence on how they conserved not only the Ragiana, bird of paradise, but also their environment. So that was interesting because then um, it, forced us to um, sort of look in the opposite direction to for those of you ecologists out there you'd know um, between religiosity or religious ideals in conservation it's sort of a clash right and with Lynn White's 19 thesis in I think 1967 um, my my argument basically went against that because um, the Koyari indigenous people um, from that we conducted um 48 questionnaires um, but with that we also conducted focus groups so from that we were able to then uh, find out that actually it did have sort of a pro-environmental stewardship effect yeah so that challenged Lynn White's thesis but also with that that yes uh, unfortunately Adventism did remove much of the traditions that they have had uh, which I believe is the same in in Melanesia that's an, an, a really important finding to have found out and also to have the data that shows that now and can support it. So I'd love to talk for you for longer, but unfortunately the two of us have to head back into the conference and keep seeing other incredible talks. So as a last question, what are your next steps? What are you hoping to do next or what would be your dream project from here? Thank you. Um, yeah, I guess next steps... Um uh, to basically look at possible PhD candidatures uh, here in Australia or New Zealand, you know, whichever comes about. 
and um, just to advocate for indigenous people and uh, being able to speak up for them and their rights uh, is something that has yeah really um, touched my heart and helped me to understand and to realize the importance of people, uh, the people-to-people connection. Um, that's also been important to my research because um, I had to spend you know over a month out in the out in the rural outskirts of along the Kokoda track outside of Port Moresby. Yeah, so that's been very important to me. Um, yeah, not just going further in in academia, but also having that um, relationship to people. Wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today, Chalice. I hope you enjoy the rest of the conference and good luck with finding that PhD. Hello, listeners. Welcome back from the break. So over the past week and half episode, you've heard from three other teams and individuals of people at the Ecological Society of Australia Conference 2023. And we've got our last spotlight for you before we head back into the poster session to hear some more ecologists tell us quickly what they do. And like last week, you heard from one of the mentors from the postgrad day at the ESA conference. And we're going to be hearing from another mentor now. And I asked her to speak with me today. A, we've had fairly similar backgrounds in that we've both come from Europe to study seabirds over here, but also her journey from PhD to her current job, um, the way she spoke about the transition and getting through it and just her comprehension of what it is to keep going in a field that has many obstacles was really encouraging. So I'd love to hear her words on it. So to begin with, can you tell our listeners what's your name, where you've come to Darwin from, and what do you do? Yeah, so I'm Dr. Elodie Cambras. I work uh, on Wurundjeri country, so I'm based at Deakin University near Melbourne. Essentially, I'm trying to postdoc <laughs> with limited money, but, uh, but still doing what I love. So I work on a species that's very iconic and understudied, and that's the giant spotter crabs in Nam or Port Phillip Bay. And I was lucky enough to see your presentation this morning on the spider crabs. It was in one of the last sessions of a conference, which is a brave thing to be doing something in the last session of a four-day conference when people's minds are, well, they're pretty full. But it was pretty memorable, the videos that you showed us. Can you tell our listeners what was in the videos and what was so exciting about them? So spider crabs are arthropods. That means they have jointed legs and a hard shell on top of their bodies so they can't grow bigger like you and me. They've got to shed their shells. So they've got to extract themselves from the shells and then they kind of pump themselves full of water and they harden a new shell on top of that. Uh, And during the time where they're waiting for the new shells to harden, they are soft and vulnerable to predators. So we think that's the reason why the spider crabs come together in such big numbers, literally tens of thousands of crabs. If you're lucky, you can't see the seafloor anymore. It's just spider crabs everywhere. And they form pyramids that can be, you know, as tall as, as a child or a small adult. Uh, and that's happening every winter in Nam or Port Phillip Bay. And that's probably been happening for at least decades, um, probably a lot more than that. And that happens in very shallow water, um, you know, 
three to sort of 10 meters or so, uh, but more so, yeah. If it happens under a pier, for example, uh, in Port Phillip Bay, that can be very shallow, very sheltered. And yet, despite the fact that, okay, it's cold water, so, but I will still call it accessible. Um, and despite that, we know nothing about spider crabs. So I've always been passionate, I think, about solving mysteries in general and doing things a bit different, maybe off the beaten track. So I think um, spider crabs ticked all my boxes. And uh, yeah, so I applied for funding for a little while. That was quite tricky to get money. But then last year, I got money to start uh, Spider Crab Watch, which is a citizen science program. And I'm also helping colleagues at Deakin um, with traditional science. So we're actually combining both traditional science and citizen science to essentially get as much information as we can about spider crabs. And with the citizen science, if our listeners hearing you talk about it wanted to get involved, how could they and what would it look like to be involved? So if you're lucky enough to live near the Great Southern Reef, so the whole southern coastline of Australia and you do get in the water uh, and you see spider crabs we'd love to hear that so we have a, an iNaturalist project called Spider Crab Watch so everyone's welcome to log their sightings if you have photos that's even better but you don't necessarily have to and sometimes it's not even necessary to get in the water to see them so we can see them sometimes from the beach or from a boat or from a pier so um, yeah any sightings that we get through that program has the potential to reveal you know exciting and brand new information because we know so little about them and then for those that aren't lucky enough to grow, to live um, in the greatest part of the world on the Great Southern Reef then uh, fear not you can participate at home we have a project that is also called Spider Crab Watch on Zooniverse so Zooniverse is used uh, to analyze images. So typically in our field, people that have uh, camera trap images can put that on there and um, get the help and the assistance from the community to analyze these images. So that's exactly what we're doing. Last year, we deployed what we call spider crab cams uh, and we got a lot of images from that. And so we've uploaded the images onto that website and people can check them out and help classify them. And the whole beauty of it is you don't have to be a marine biologist, that's the whole point. So there are lots of images and tutorials and a little field guide for people to browse through. What was the story of how you ended up working with spider crabs? In short, a long journey and a lot of persistence and perseverance. Um, yeah, so I had been applying for five years to get funding. I think it's part of a bigger problem that it's hard to get funding to study marine species, especially, you know, you might get funding to study dolphins or seabirds or seals. Uh, it's even harder to get funding to study marine invertebrates. And this is something that's quite you know, that's iconic and it's been in the news locally and internationally on BBC Blue Planet too. But again, the fact that we know so little about them was just mind-blowing for me. I just couldn't understand why we knew so little about them. So I was always passionate about studying them. And then, 
yeah, no one seemed to be interested for a while and I thought, oh, okay. And I had other ideas that I thought, you know, could work, but then it also didn't. And at some point I got contacted again by one of the funding bodies that where we'd apply in the past and they were saying they're actually interested in funding this work. So that's the Department of Energy, Environment and Climate Action. So I really want to, yeah, give them a shout out because without their funding we could not have started this research. We do have a little um, pot of money from Parks Victoria at the moment so next year we'll be redeploying, redeploying uh, spider crab cams so that's pretty cool and I'm still yeah still looking for funding for other activities but hopefully we can yeah I don't want to lose the momentum that we've been building and hopefully we can get more funding to keep on combining citizen science and traditional science. When I talk to a lot of my peers about whether or not they want to stay in academia after their postgrad studies, a lot of them say no and a main reason is that funding and the job instability and lack of security. Now unfortunately we're running out of time because we're about to go jump on a bus to see Lee Point but to end off can you tell our listeners about the podcast that you're involved in? So I'm helping out with the Ecology Matters podcast. So it's a podcast by the ESA that's meant to showcase the work and the journey that different scientists or different ecologists have taken. And uh, it's just been really inspiring because we've had a wide diversity of people in different career stages, um, people studying all sorts of different things. I'm learning so much from, I don't know much about plant and fungi, for example, and I just like learn so much about various aspects that I don't necessarily have time otherwise to educate myself on. So it's been a lot of fun and I think, yeah, we've had great feedback from last year's podcast and yeah, it's just an exciting project. Where can our listeners find out more or find the podcast? Search Ecology Matters podcast by the Ecological Society of Australia. We're on most uh, podcast platform. Fantastic. Thank you so much for talking with me today, Elodie. This has been a fantastic week and getting to meet people like yourself has been truly wonderful and very motivating. So thank you. Welcome listeners, uh, by all the noise around me, you will be able to tell that we are now in the poster session. We are literally surrounded by hundreds of ecologists. I have a poster up and I'm gonna be running back and forth from my poster to look at all the other posters. So, can you each tell me, what's your name, where you've come to Darwin from, and what do you do, or what is your research? All right, my name's Caitlin. I'm from the University of Queensland, which is in Brisbane, and I study estuarine crocodiles, specifically their movement, behaviour, and things that really make them stressed. Uh, my name's Sarah. I'm from the Queensland University of Technology in Brisbane, and I build mathematical tools to help understand the risks that come with conservation actions. I'm Sebastian from the University of Adelaide and I'm investigating the exotic pet trade, specifically the international trade of Australian reptiles and amphibians. I am Courtney, I'm from the Uni of Adelaide as well, and I have been using photogrammetry as a non-invasive way to survey outcrops of Cunningham skink to find habitat preferences. Oh, awesome, so exciting. Thanks, guys. My name's Viviana Moritas. I'm from the University of Sydney, 
and my work is looking at how grey the gliders move through the burnt landscape to assess their movements against unburnt forest. Awesome. What's your favourite thing about what you do? The fact that I got to hold greater glider babies was my favourite thing ever. That's so cool. Thanks. So my name is David Smith. I work for uh, the Australian National University on a project called Sustainable Farms. Uh, and basically I do a lot of long-term monitoring work on farms uh, and we try to work out ways that farmers can support more biodiversity on their farms and also, you know, produce lots of food for us. Hi, I'm David Hamilton. I'm a conservation ecologist with the Tasmanian Land Conservancy um, and my work is involved in long-term monitoring of all the different fauna species that use the Tasmanian Land Conservancy's um, properties across Tasmania. I'm also involved in our big project looking at eastern quoll declines across Tasmania too. So. Hi, so I'm Eleanor Stern. I'm a PhD student at the University of Melbourne. And my poster is on what is going to be hopefully my PhD project, where I'm going to be using microcosm data on paramecium to generate experimental data to test and assess different kinds of species distribution models and dynamic range models to see how they perform under different data conditions and in equilibrium and non-equilibrium conditions. What has been the most unexpected thing that you've come across so far in your work? Well, I only just started the PhD six months ago. So hmm, I think for me, what I didn't know before starting this is how much theory that I was taught in my undergraduate degree was actually tested on paramecium, well, not paramecium, but on microcosm. So I heard, you know, in my undergrad, so much about Locke of Volterra models, predator-prey interactions, competition theory, things like that. And I didn't know that back in the 30s, people were testing these on ciliates as well. Awesome. And we have the speaker who went on just before me. We had back-to-back -back speed talks yesterday. So who is that? Hi, I'm April. I am from Deakin Uni, and I look at hooded plovers and their escape behavior. And what are they escaping from? Me! <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> the big bad bird, Banningshire of Burwood. So that's what you're known as? Yes. <laughs> Love it. Say that five times fast. <laughs> Hi, my name is Tessa Smith. I'm from the University of Tasmania and I study the distribution of beetles in Tasmanian forests. I'm here in Darwin. Woohoo! Woo. What was the most exciting thing you've come across in your work? Oh, I found some new species, which is pretty fun. I, um, I hope someone's able to describe them at some point in the near future, but yeah. That's so exciting. New species. I'm Dr. Georgia Ward-Fear. I work at Macquarie University and I'm a tropical ecologist. I run big conservation project programs with reptiles, trying to mitigate the impacts of invasive cane toads on their populations. And for our listeners, what is the most interesting or exciting fact that you've come across in your work? The fact that goannas dig burrows that are about three metres deep, which is really a lot deeper than they need to be for such a small animal. How do you measure the burrow depth? Uh, I, didn't, I didn't measure the burrow depth myself, but basically you dig the burrow up and then you can measure it and the way that the goannas dig their burrow, the ones that I work with, is that they dig a big spiral that goes about three metres deep and they have these um, big warrens where multiple animals lay in the same spot. So they've got multiple chambers with um, clutches of eggs. They kind of nest communally to mitigate the impacts of predators. Uh, my name's Miles Bruni. 
I work for DBCA in the Invasive Species Unit um, and I work on uh, mostly on cane toads and in collaboration with um, Georgia and Macquarie University. Yeah, so I'm on the ground kind of rolling stuff out, especially with CTA, meeting up with um, traditional owners and going out on country and yeah. I'm Jasmine Annette and I'm from the University of the Sunshine Coast um, and very very briefly, um, I did my honours in the gliding uh, evolution of gliding in uh, arboreal marsupials using machine learning and accelerometry. Um, and basically what the main crux of the research was, was that accelerometry is a really big game changer because it measures movement in three dimensions. Um, the idea is that the behaviour, regardless of living state, would not change. Um, so we can use these uh, captive species to then infer behavioural budgets in free-roaming animals. Um, and then we can also in, um, infer evolutionary predictors as well. So what I found with the gliders was that the energy expenditure is extremely important. Um, they expend a lot more energy over longer periods of time um, because they need to access those very um, high energy sporadic food sources like um, pollen and all those kinds of things. So gliding would have helped that. They also barely ever use the ground um, and they also uh, use the canopy a lot more. So there's a lot of things that we can do to uh, really identify these behaviours um, with accelerometry. And if you couple that with GPS, it's just going to be a massive game changer for behavioural studies. But yeah, thank you. That is so awesome. Now, listeners, Jasmine and I got excited when we met each other because we both do accelerometry and we were like, oh my gosh, there's someone else that does accelerometry here. <laughs> So for our listeners, what's the future of this research? Where would you ideally be taking it next? Um, so the next uh, aspect of this would be to incorporate more phylogenetic species. So we only included mahogany gliders and brush-tailed possums because they were the only ones I had access to at the time. Um, but it would be really nice to get the ring-tailed possums because they would fill in that really nice ecological gap. Um, they rarely use the ground, so that would be the nice close-to-the-glider aspect. Um, but they're also possums, so you still got that possum um, uh, what do you call it? remnant as well. So that would be the next step, not to mention incorporating this into free-roaming animals, including GPS and VHF, to get uh, habitat-specific um, behavioural budgets as well. Awesome, thank you so much. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. This is the final boarding call. And there you have it, listeners. That wraps it up for our time in Darwin and our double bill of the Ecological Society of Australia 2023 conference in Darwin. I've had an absolutely amazing week here in Darwin meeting some incredible ecologists and it's definitely given me the motivation to finish my PhD and to keep going. So thank you all for tuning in. We hope you loved the show today. If you did, you can find out more about us at thatscience.org or you can find us on social media by searching That Science Taz or That's What I Call Science. From me outside Darwin Airport and heading back to chilly, chilly Hobart, I hope you have a wonderful week. This program was made possible with support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Find out more at cbf.org.au. That's What I Call Science is brought to your station and across the nation via the Community Radio Network. You can find the show at all major podcast streaming services and find out more about us from our social media channels. Make sure you like and subscribe to keep up with all the exciting science, technology, engineering, maths and medicine research in Lutruita, Tasmania. This show is supported and strengthened by Edge Radio. So head over to edgeradio.org.au for more information about them. Thanks for tuning in today and may your week be stemtastic. <laughs>